As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And our second reading comes from John chapter 13. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, hi Church Hill, it's a real delight to be with you today uh, to together think about speaking about Jesus, which is what we've been doing for the past three weeks. Uh, but today we're looking particularly at the collective task. In week one, Justin really helpfully took us through the task with some reflections, particularly in Acts. And then last week, Rob showed us a model in 1 Corinthians where we seek to promote the gospel through living lives to the glory of God. And this week, we're taking a slightly different take, not a competing take, but a complementary one. We're looking at the collective task of speaking about Jesus from the perspective of community. And this is important because it's easy to forget sometimes when we think about the nature of Jesus' work. We can think about it in very individual terms. Jesus died for me, and that's wonderfully true. But we forget that Jesus' mission was also to form a people, a new humanity. His plan was always collective. And so is his mission for his church to make him known. Promoting the gospel is every individual's responsibility, but today we're looking at the emphasis on how we do that together. But before we begin, we may be thinking, well, we can't even meet. Why are we even thinking about this? Are we a bit tone deaf to that? Well, it has been a difficult time. But in another sense, this provides us with an opportunity. We've been, in one sense, a ground zero in terms of social and shared life. Our calendars have been completely emptied. And now is an opportunity, as things ease, albeit in a staggered fashion, it gives us an opportunity to keep mission on our agenda as we begin to repopulate our calendars. 
but it also coincides with what we're looking at in our community groups in term four, which is reading through Sam Chan's book, How to Talk About Jesus Without Being That Guy. His book has great insights, and particularly in elaborating on some of the things that we'll be looking at today. He'll prove a good conversation partner for us. But the question I want to address today is this. How does the church promote Jesus in a way that as individuals we cannot? How does the church promote Jesus in a way that we as individuals cannot? I'm going to answer it in three ways. What I'm going to say is that the church promotes Jesus visibly and verbally in, firstly, a unified way, second, a holy way, and third, a loving way. But before we elaborate on each of those, I'm just going to create some time to look at the context of 1 Peter, which is one of the passages that we'll be camping in today. Well, in the book of Peter, we see a letter addressed to the church. Peter wrote to churches scattered through a wide region. In today's passage, he addresses them as exiles, as he does in the opening of the letter. There in in chapter 1, verse 1, he says, to the elect exiles. Now, to be exiled, as we've seen in a previous series, is to be rejected. Whereas the opposite, to be elect is to be selected or chosen. When Peter writes to them, it's as if he's saying they are rejected by the world around them because God has chosen them to be his own. Being exiles meant that they were like foreigners on the fringes, disenfranchised. Now this was true of, in some senses, it seems, their social standing... But Peter's emphasis here is that it is true of their spiritual standing. Peter recognises that they are leaving in an alien place. They belong to a different kingdom and they live their lives there as resident aliens that has different values and practices. And he wants them to know how to live as God's people in a hostile world. Now to be sure, this is a letter to them, but it is also a word for us. See, our too, our world too is a hostile world. And by hostile, I mean that it runs by different values and practices. Now, to be sure, it's, it's not as hostile as it could be, but there is always going to be some rub when you live by different values and practices. And so as we look at a part of this letter, we can take encouragement and particularly his approach as he encourages them about what they should be doing. And his approach is this. Before he tells them how to live, he spends some time building a case of who they are, building a picture of who they are. See, we will see that who we are speaks both to how we are to live, but also how we together promote the gospel. Peter in chapter 2 has shared the beautiful thing that God has built, the church. It's built on the foundation, the cornerstone of Jesus in chapter 2, verse 6. 
And in him, in Jesus, the believers have been brought from darkness to light, from death to life. We see that in verse 9. On that foundation, God has built something beautiful, the church. And he depicts its beauty through drawing on Old Testament allusions. And we see those in verses 9 and 10. He describes the church this way. He says that they are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, people belonging to God. These titles, honours, privileges and responsibilities were predicted of Israel in the Old Testament. And here Peter applies them to the church. This is who they are. The other I get My vision gets worse. Without my glasses, now I am unable to make sense or see things with any particular clarity. I can can see the rough shape of things, but it is a blur. But when I put my glasses on, it brings things into focus. It brings clarity. And it also enables me to see beauty. To the eyes of the world and to us, Church can seem ordinary, can seem weak, can seem pathetic. But Peter here gives us fresh eyes, dripping with Old Testament allusions, to see what God has done with great clarity and beauty. The church is beautiful, as we see in this picture. And only when we see the beauty of what God has created will we be compelled to be all that we were created to be. Well, how is the church to live? How is it to exist both visibly and verbally? Well, in verse 11, he goes on. He writes, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul." Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. But here says that as foreigners and exiles, they are to live a certain way. They're to abstain from certain things and we will see they are to live good lives, do good deeds. The church is to live by the beat of a different drum. And by doing so, they would demonstrate that they belonged somewhere else. Or rather, they belonged to someone else. And by doing so, would commend him, Jesus, to the world. Theologians Colin Hansen and Jonathan Lehman write this. The church exists for many reasons, but none more important or urgent than to proclaim and make known verbally and visibly the excellencies and attributes of the greatness and grace of God. There is a compelling power to the shared life of the church. So to address that question, how does the church promote Jesus in a way that as individuals we cannot visibly and verbally. Well, firstly, we promote Jesus in a unified way. We show a unity that requires a supernatural intervention 
an explanation. You would know there are many rifts in our world. The dividing lines between things fall on so many fronts. We often define ourselves through what divides us rather than what unites us. But Peter has reminded them of who they are. They are a chosen people, a holy nation. The ESV renders this even stronger. They are a chosen race. Believers that have been united by faith to Jesus are a new people, a chosen race. But this race is made up of every ethnicity. It's a spiritual race, not defined by colour or by culture, but by a creed. The Apostles' Creed says we believe in one holy Catholic church. Catholic there means universal. And so this new people is defined and unified in the one in whom they believe, Jesus. We promote and proclaim and glorify him when we are unified. So important is it that Jesus, in one of his last recorded prayers before his arrest, prays for this kind of unity. In John 17, Jesus prays this for us, future believers. He says, My prayer is not for them alone. I also pray for all those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. It's a remarkable thought, isn't it, that Jesus prayed for us. And he prayed for unity, that we would be one. Yet now, more than ever, we know how fraught maintaining unity is. So there is great comfort in the efficacy of Jesus' prayer. Because if this unity is going to happen, particularly with a church full of so many different people, with so many different backgrounds, a unity of God's people would have to be supernatural. Its explanation has to be found in something outside of itself. And this is who we are. We are united in Christ. But it's important to remember that our unity is not yet perfected. Being unified is not being besties. In our church life, we won't always get along with one another. So we must, as the Apostle Paul says, maintain unity. We must exercise forbearance, forgiveness. And as we do, as Jesus' words have said, the world may believe that you have sent me. So how does the church promote Jesus in a way that as an individual we cannot? We promote Jesus in a unified way. We show a unity that requires a supernatural intervention and explanation. Secondly, we promote Jesus in a holy way. We show a holiness that requires a supernatural intervention and explanation. Peter, in his letter, tells them what Christ has accomplished. He has given them new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, chapter 1, verse 3. 
This new birth has set the church apart as holy through Christ. And he tells them that they are to be holy as God is. And by doing so, this holiness will have effect. Peter calls the church to this task. Look at verses 11 and 12. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Again, this is the language of foreigners and exiles. or Aliens, we are resident aliens, residents from a different kingdom with different values and practices. Holiness means being set apart, living by those different values and practices. But you'll notice he doesn't call them away from the world. Rather, they are to live as a contrast community, a counterculture within it. Colin Hansen and Jonathan Lehman write this, Heaven touches down on planet Earth through our gathered churches. And when this happens, you offer the citizens of your nation the hope of a better nation, the residents of your city the hope of a better and lasting city. But the reality was not all then saw it like this. That people don't see the church as a blessing is the occasion for the letter, and it's no different today. The late New Testament scholar Larry Hurtado explains, the Christian church was a unique social project. They were a contrast community, a counterculture that was both offensive and yet also attractive to many. The church will always be both repulsive and attractive. Well, we too are not to isolate ourselves from culture, but to be a contrast community, a counterculture within it. And we are to live under the good reign of Jesus in this world. And that most certainly will at times involve opposition. It will certainly at times push people away. And it may involve suffering. But by the grace of God, hopefully as we encounter others, we pray that our lives will, by God's grace, have a good transforming effect also for his glory, that we will be attractive to many. Well, this is what we are. We are reborn in Jesus and we are set apart to live his way. But the reality is we are not yet perfected entirely. We are all works in progress. We are called to be holy. Peter says Christians are to rid themselves of all kinds of things, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, sinful desires which wage war against us. But we are also to live in ways that are honourable to God. How does the church promote Jesus in a way that an individual cannot? We promote Jesus in a holy way. We live lives that require a supernatural intervention and explanation. Well, thirdly and finally, how does the church promote Jesus in a way that an individual cannot? We promote Jesus in a loving way. We show a love that requires a supernatural intervention and explanation. This is what 
famously Francis Schaeffer called or coined the final apologetic. For this last point, we go to Jesus' words. In John 13, Jesus said this, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. New Testament scholar Don Carson writes this, The new command is not only the obligation of a new community to respond to the God who has loved them and set them free by the offering of his Son, neither is it merely their response to his gracious choice of them as his people. It is a privilege which, when rightly lived out, proclaims the true God before the watching world. We get a lovely picture of this in the early North African church father's writings of Tertullian. He lived from around 165 to 225 AD. And he wrote his famous work called Apology in order to defend Christians against slanderous charges being made against them. In that work, he noted the unity of Christians saying this, We are a body knit together as such by a common religious profession by a unity of discipline, and by a bond of common hope. And then he notes how the church's love has impacted unbelievers around them. This is written almost 2,000 years ago. He says this, But it is mainly the deeds of a love so noble that led many to put a brand upon us. See, they say, how they love one another. You can hear the echo of Jesus' words there. And so has been the case for thousands of years. When Christians love each other, it reflects how God has loved us first in Christ. Well, Christian mutual love takes many forms, thoughtful acts and words of generosity, kindness and care. And this is to take place both inside the church but but outside also. And the result, as Jesus said in verse 35 of John 13, is that by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We are united in love. But we're not yet perfected and our love is often imperfect. And so we are to look to Jesus, our guide here. Well, how does the church promote Jesus in a way that an individual cannot. We promote Jesus in a loving way. We show a love that requires supernatural intervention and explanation. Well, to conclude, we've asked a question, we started with this question, how does the church promote Jesus in a way that an individual cannot? And we've seen that the church promotes Jesus visibly and verbally in a unified way, as we maintain unity, in a holy way, as we seek to live good lives under Jesus, and in a loving way, as we love each other and the world around us in word and deed. And it's a beautifully ordinary picture. But as we do, we hope that God will use our efforts, our words and our deeds, that both visibly and verbally, some might come to know him. Well, let me close with one more question. 
How can we use the church to make Christ known verbally and visibly? Well, part of this picture is simple. Firstly, we we turn up. As we come back and I recognise our consciences will bring us back at a varied schedule, that's absolutely fine. But when we do, prioritise church as the precious thing that Christ does. Turn up. Also, we tune others in. We ask other people to church. It might be a regular service or a one-off event like a baptism or a special service. We ask people to engage in the life of our community, whether it's community group or a service of some kind like City Care Lunch or a sporting or cultural activity or social event that we're doing. That way they see a window into our life. They see a window as we meet to worship God, but also as we exist as a community and shared life with one another. But finally, and this is the exciting part, we can think afresh. Sam Chan's book gives us great food for thought in this space. It's centred around eight evangelistic tips, as he calls them. Many of them tap into this idea of merging our world, bringing our friends and family into contact with our church and letting them see the church in action. It's an opportunity for us over the course of these next eight weeks to tease out, to think creatively about what this could look like. And let's pray that as we do, the Lord would be pleased to draw people to himself and grow our church family. Amen.